0: Please open your Bibles to Galatians. Continuing this morning in chapter 5, and I'll just tell you right off the bat the verses we have this morning are tough. They're hard to hear, they raise big questions, the answers to which are equally tough. This is a sobering passage in many regards. And because it's tough, because frankly it's very important, I've printed in the worship folder for you and we will read more than just the three verses that we're technically going to cover this morning because we need the context. Uh, We're not going to understand verses 19 through 21 all by themselves. They come immediately on the heels of and are connected to the preceding verses and we'll see next week are connected to the verses that come after it as well. We're getting into that part of Galatians that might be the most familiar, at least to folks who've spent any time in church, any time reading the Scriptures. But one of the first things that we're going to see is just because we're familiar with the verses doesn't necessarily mean that we know why they're there or what we need to do with them. So let's dig in. Stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to back up to chapter 5, verse 13, and read through verse 21. For you were called to freedom, sisters and brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is God's inerrant, infallible, inspired, and authoritative word. Please pray with me. Father, these are heavy words, but they're your words. Your spirit inspired as the human authors penned these very words down. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come this morning, would you be our teacher... But more than just teach us something, would you wield this sword, this scalpel even that the word is, and let it do the work on our hearts that it needs to do. For your glory and honor and for our good, we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. You've got an outline in your worship folder. And the outline consists of three questions that these verses raise, and the first one is this, what do we do with these verses? What what are they here for? Now part of what makes this passage so famous uh, are these two lists, only one of which that I read this morning, The, the first is the list of vices. And another list that comes in the verses immediately after our passage that we'll begin to work on next week is a list of virtues. Now, Paul has many such lists in his writings. They're in lots of his letters. And if you're in the group of folks who are familiar with these verses and therefore with these two lists, my question for you is what have you typically done with these? What have you typically done with these two lists? It's not too difficult, too big of a stretch to to think about these two lists, to see them in opposing columns. Column A, the naughty list. Here's the stuff you don't want to do, the things you don't want to be. And opposite that column is column B, the nice list. All right, do these things, right? Be like column B, not like column A. Perhaps in our thinking, we've sort of thought about, okay, maybe, maybe column B is a corrective to column A. Right, we will try to do the things in column B to fix what we got wrong in column A. The, the, column B is the antidotes, if you will, to column A. So if you find yourself doing these things over here, what you really need to be doing are these things over here. That will make you a good Christian. But there's one pretty big problem with that line of thinking. Paul's not telling the Galatians to stop or start doing anything. These aren't commands. They're not imperative statements. They're just statements of fact. Here's what the flesh does. Here's what the Spirit produces. Now granted, some of Paul's other virtue and vice lists and some of the other letters, those are given in command form. But it's important that as we study this book, and as we have been for so many months, that we pay attention to how Paul says it in in this book. And in this book, Paul's not about to say that the solution to your sin problem, the solution to your broken relationship with God, is for you to get busy and do anything. Think of the whole of Galatians. All that we've seen in these first five chapters. What is the message he's so desperately trying to get across? Is it that you need to work harder? Try to be a better person? No. Time and again, in Galatians, Paul has said works aren't going to get you anywhere. Over and over again, Galatians chapter 2 and chapter 3. By works of the law, no one will be justified. In fact, one way to think about the theme of this book is that works condemn. If you're looking to your works, if you're looking to your obedience as the thing that makes you okay with God Even if you say that that's in addition to your faith in Jesus, those works you're depending on nullify your faith. Those works actually condemn you. All right. That's works of the law. But what's mentioned in our verses for today it says works of the flesh so what's the difference in the end there is no difference they both condemn let me press this a little bit further the the, the naughty list here these vices these so called works of the flesh do they condemn would they send you to hell absolutely Without a doubt. But here's the thing that we've got to remember. Here's the insidious lie that has crept into the church somehow. And crept into so-called Christian thinking. The presence of those things will definitely send you to hell. But the absence of those things is not necessarily your ticket to heaven. The absence of those things doesn't mean you're not condemned. See, the full message we're getting from Paul here is simply that works condemn, period. It doesn't matter what type of work. You can be condemned by the works that gratify your fleshly desires, your human sinful nature, and you can also be condemned If you seek to deny your flesh, if you seek through self-discipline and determination, and you try really, really hard not to do the things on the naughty list, a goal, by the way, that we will never accomplish because we're not able to not do those things. Right? Even if we could stop doing those things. we would still be guilty and condemned because of what we've already done before we reached that moment when we said, I'm going to try really hard to stop. See, here's the thing. You can be condemned through irreligion, right? Whatever. Live free and happy. Pursue any pleasure, any time, right? You can be condemned through irreligion, But you can also be condemned through religious pursuits, through the pursuit of your own righteousness by your own efforts, instead of by trusting Jesus and waiting for the Spirit to produce that righteousness in in you. All right, so if we don't need to look at these two lists as problems and solutions or don'ts, and do's, then how are we to understand them? I think the reason Paul gives us these lists in this letter where he does, in the context of where he does, and this is the fill in your blank there, they're a litmus test. That's what these lists are for, this list of vices and this list of virtues, right? A litmus test, not for acids and alkalines, but this, uh, there we go, one more slide. A litmus test in the sense of it's a decisively indicative test. I've been doing lots of testing this week, right? I'm trying to turn this swamp in my backyard into a beautiful oasis. Um, some of the tests that I've been doing on the water in that pool of ours are subjective and they're difficult to read, right? One test, you mix, you do all the drops and the solutions and stuff, and then you have to stand with your back to the sun and the test tube at waist level and look down into the test tube, but not too hard, just glance and see if you see the black dot at the bottom of the test tube. Now, don't squint because you will see it. Just glance. And do you see it or do you not see it? I don't know right one that's not quite that bad is all right uh, put put all the drops in and everything and then compare the color of the thing to this chart over here what color is it most like Uh, I don't know it's somewhere between pink and purple but I don't right so those are those are more subjective those are kind of difficult right? But then there's this one other test, and I really like this test, right? Because you start adding the drops to what little, little vial of pink liquid, and you start adding the drops, and then it changes from one drop to the next, from pink to clear. In an instant, with the addition of one more drop, boom, changes. And I'm like, that's a test that I can read and I can understand, right? One minute it's pink, the next drop, it is not pink anymore, I, I can do that, right? That's what these lists are. Our behaviors come from one of two places. They're from our flesh or they're from the Spirit. And so these lists serve as a litmus test for walking by the Spirit. That was the big issue last week from verse 16. The key to not gratifying the desires of the flesh, the key to not doing all the things on the naughty list, is walking by the Spirit. And so last week we saw, and I won't rehash all of it, last week we saw Spirit and flesh as as irreconcilable enemies constantly doing battle. And so Paul gives us a list. Again, it's not a list of commands here. It's a list of evidences. Right? That's the first thing he says in verse 19, right? These things are evident. They're plain to see, they're obvious. Right? One drop it's pink, the next drop it's it's clear, right? These things are evident, they're obvious. The first list, evidences that you are not walking by the spirit. Second list evidences that you are. See the evidence offers proof about the reality of something right the, the works of the flesh offer proof that you don't belong to the spirit. He's not in you renewing you. he's not actively at work inside of you. Now at this point we're going to start working on that, that second question in the outline. You look at these works of the flesh it's it's quite a list that we've got here and I'm not going to go through one by one and elaborate on them individually right Paul didn't do that he didn't feel the need to do that he knew his audience he knew that on one hand you've got Galatians who were pagans and frankly quite familiar with lots in this list needed no explanation to them But this list doesn't just have the typical pagan things, does it? There's also plenty that would apply to these super-religious, super-pious Judaizers, these false teachers that were tormenting the Galatians. Uh, There's plenty to trip these guys up as well. And so I won't go vice by vice through this list, but I will point out just a couple of things. One is notice how many have to deal with relationships. And how relationships get destroyed how relationships suffer when either folks are busy gratifying themselves or being super religious and trying to dot all the I's and cross all the T's all right, this is something we've looked at before a, a lack of belief in the gospel is disastrous to our relationships in the church all right, verse 21, this noteworthy addition by Paul at the end of this list of 15 things. He lists 15 things, and then at the end he still feels the need to tack on, and things like these, All right? So it's just a little umbrella catch-all statement, just in case you weren't paying attention to the first 15, right? Let's just throw this little umbrella thing out here. You're in there somewhere, All right? Paul, is Paul basically just saying, I could go on, but I won't. He's given us this list to make sure that we see ourselves as guilty. And then at the end of the list, after the umbrella catch-all statement, comes a warning. And it's a pretty stern warning. Here's the 15 things, and here's the catch-all statement at the end. And those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's tough. And it's pretty sobering. And it's important that we we see the nature of this warning. You all this is a matter of life and death. That's what inheriting the kingdom means, right? Some will inherit the kingdom. Some will have uh, eternal life in a relationship with the Father, and some will not. Some will not have that life and relationship, and that's a big deal. And that makes what Paul says even more startling and concerning Right, so this long list of vices, long enough to make sure that we each find ourselves there. Probably multiple times, if we're honest. And then comes the kicker. If you do these things, you're not getting the kingdom. And we need to wrestle with what that means. Should we understand this as if you've ever done any of these things then you're not getting in one strike and you're out surely it can't be that harsh it's got to at least be three strikes right do we have three chance how many how many times can you do something on this list and still get in See, the way that Paul words this, it can easily lead one to ask the question that I put in the outline there. Read, his, read this list, read his warning. Uh, it's a pretty logical question to ask. Am, am I going to hell? Because if I'm being honest, I definitely find myself in that list. Does that mean that I'm a goner? Now, it's safe to say from the whole of Scripture that that's not what Paul means. He, he's not talking about one sin. He's not talking about the occasional lapse. He's talking about a habit. He's talking about a practice. He's talking about a continued indulgence Of the desires of the flesh. Now for some of you that eases your mind a bit. But it leaves others of us still on edge. Because you know how much you struggle. You know what a constant battle this particular temptation or that particular temptation is for you. And, and you know that there are times that you resist that temptation, but you know there are plenty of other times that you don't. When, when you give in and, and you hate yourself for it. it. It tears you up on the inside. It makes you sick that you can't seem to shake this thing. And so you see Paul's warning here, and you get a sick feeling in the pit of your stomach but friends, I I said it last week and I need to repeat it again this week. Don't let the presence of this struggle, don't let the presence of this battle in your life, deep in your soul, don't let that discourage you. Because folks, the battle, the struggle is actually a very good sign. It is reason for hope. It's proof, it's evidence that the Spirit is in you, that He's alive and well, that He's doing the very thing that He should do, waging war against our flesh. That's what we saw in verse 17 last week. They're at odds. They are opposed to each other. There is a battle that is raging inside of you. And so don't let that battle, don't let that war raging deep down get you down. But what should be, what should give you great concern is not the presence of the battle, but the absence of it. That's the thing that ought to give you great pause. Because much more dangerous than a war inside of you is a ceasefire. That's your fill in the blank there. Ceasefires are bad. Because see, if you and your flesh have somehow made an agreement... Or an arrangement, a little little give and take, a little admission of, you know what, there's this thing over here and we're just going to leave it alone. There's this thing over here that I'm kind of partial to and it's off limits. We're not talking about it. I really like it. I don't want to give it up. I'm just going to turn a blind eye to it. Maybe it's something that just seems too difficult, and for a time I resisted it, uh, but uh, uh, no, I'm just too tired now. It's just this one little area anyway. This one little thing doesn't define who I am. It's just one little weakness, and I'm human after all. We've negotiated a ceasefire, and the battle that once raged inside of you slowly fades away. That, my friends, is what you should most fear. Not a struggle that you feel like you can't get a handle on. Not a battle that you hate that you always seem to be losing. What you should most fear is continuing to indulge whatever it is without struggle, without battle or war. See, friend, that's making it evident who you really belong to. So, can I I just ask you, what is that thing? What is that area in your heart, in your life, where you've said, "Hey, can we just can we just leave that alone?" All right? Only, only you know what what it is, and it's so dangerous. I will bring up one out of Paul's list for example and I was starting to think because it's, such, it's especially problematic in our day and age right? which that's always the tendency to kind of think that now it's so much worse it's so much more whatever but Paul listed it first in his list and so I think it was equally problematic then as it is now ESV translates it sexual immorality. Which is a lot of things, but it is basically the idea of sex between persons who are not married to each other. Y'all, and this one is so pervasive. And it's one that the enemy seems to be using, especially to get our youth, to get our students, but it's not limited there. But it's just such an area that seems to be so quick to just cede territory to. To say, we're not talking about it. We're not going there. Folks, take take Paul's warning to heart. You will prove yourself to be of the flesh and not of the Spirit. Again, Paul is not talking about isolated failures. He is not talking about a temptation that is eating you alive. He's not talking about that battle that you agonize over time and again, wishing that you could see some victory. He's talking to you who just don't care anymore. He's talking to those of you, to those of us, who've made a decision and said, this is just what I'm going to do. And it doesn't bother you. There's no battle. There's no struggle. There, there's no angst or turmoil within you at all. And if that's you, then this litmus test proves that you're not walking by the Spirit, that He's not there doing what he does. It proves that you're not really his at all. And and one thing that I as I was thinking about this right so so if we fail that litmus test we very often look to other litmus tests to try to make ourselves feel like we're okay. Yeah I I know that I've kind of caved on that area right but you know i i did pray this prayer a long time ago right i did walk this aisle when i was a, a child so so i'm pretty I'm, i think i'm still pretty good probably that that one thing i should be okay because you know after all you can't lose your salvation and friend if that's you you would be right in thinking that you can't lose your salvation Because you can't lose something you never had. And so if you've negotiated a ceasefire in some area of your life, if you've let the battle and the struggle and the war over sin in your life come to an end, then the only thing that you can do, the only thing left at your disposal, is to cry out to the Father in repentance and in faith and confess your desperate need for Jesus. Please don't delay. Please do not delay. Our our third and final point this morning, right, is how do I inherit the kingdom, right? Because inheriting the kingdom is at stake here, right? And if I can't do it, if I've negotiated a ceasefire on things and, and there's no longer struggle, if I can't do it that how do I inherit the kingdom? If doing the things that we're going to see next week in column B, if, if trying to do those things isn't enough to undo what happened in column A, then where is my hope? Your hope is simply in this. To inherit the kingdom of God is to remember that it's an inheritance. That's what you have to you've got to remember that it's an inheritance. Now think about that. What's an inheritance? Right? When someone close to you, when someone who loves you dies. And they give you something precious, something that you don't earn. They just give it to you. That's the only way to get it. You have to receive it freely. Please see, that's what Jesus has done. Please. That's exactly what He's done. That's what He offers. And see, when we plug this whole thing back into the context of walking by the Spirit, because that's our bigger context here, starting back in verse 16. When, When we plug this whole thing back into walking by the Spirit, Think about some of those things from last week if you were here. We're walking by the Spirit. has to do with who the Spirit is and what He does. And what the Spirit does is reminds us of our adoption that Christ has secured for us. He helps us to experience the fact that God is our Father now. And the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, reminds us of all that He's accomplished for us, helps us to know and to be assured of how very much we're loved In Jesus, enough that He would die, enough that He would die to give us His inheritance. And that knowledge, knowing a love like that, changes us, transforms us from the inside out. Friends, these two lists are not about what you're supposed to do or not do. They're lists of evidences, ways that you will see that you belong to Jesus. Because when you belong to Jesus, He's going to change your life. The desire to do column A will slowly begin to fade away. Often more slowly than we would like, but slowly fade away. And then, as we're going to see next week, as we start to dig into these next verses, column B, new things are going to start showing up in your life miraculously. How did that get here? How did patience show up for such an impatient guy like me? How did joy show up like that in such a powerful, powerful way? Let's pray. Father, thank you for hard words. For words that do give us pause, they are sobering. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would take these hard words of yours and that he'd be tenacious with them in all of our lives. He'd go after us, that he wouldn't relent. Father, only you know what you need to do in each of our hearts this morning. Do it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.